We're continuing uh, in 1 John this morning. If you've got a Bible or a phone, don't you want to head towards uh, 1 John chapter 2? We're going to just look at the last two verses of chapter 2, and then we're going to be through to uh, chapter 3, verse 10 this morning. We're going to be looking at, at the whole idea of the fact that we're the children of God. Uh, and I'll be upfront with you, the, this passage is uh, a little bit uh, tricky, especially if you're reading it in the CSB. I know um, we, we all use different translations. Um, I normally preach from the CSB, uh, and this is probably the only passage I've ever found in the CSB as we've been preaching so far, where I think maybe some other translations have actually done a better job or a, um, a more clarifying job with the translation. But I'll get into all of that a bit later on uh, as I read it. Uh, let's, let's dive into it, read it. I'm going to pray, and then we can, can dig. There's a lot of encouraging stuff for us uh, uh, in this passage uh, this morning. 1 John chapter 2, <clears throat> I'm reading from verse 28. So now, little children, uh, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children. Let no one deceive you. The one who does what is righteous, just as he is righteous, uh, yeah. the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin, because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Let's pray uh, together before we dig in here. Father, we, uh, week by week, we want to just acknowledge our gratitude for your word. We thank you that you have spoken and you continue to speak. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit who is our teacher and that you graciously, every time we come to your word, you open up our eyes and you quicken our spirits to be able to learn and to know and to see you, to hear what we need to hear. And we pray again as we look at this passage this morning, you would, you would show us what we need to see. You would help us to hear what we need to hear and that you would, you would do a deeply encouraging and strengthening work in us through your word and for, and for those of us, wherever we are, no, no matter the condition of our hearts this morning, we would hear you speak. You're our Father, and we need to hear your voice most clearly. And so I pray, speak to us, Father. Teach us uh, for our good and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
<clears throat> this is one of these uh, passages, this, one of these sections in, in 1 John where John talks about, you see a few of these in the New Testament where identity becomes, comes before activity. Uh, whoever the author is, sometimes Paul does a lot of this. Here we see John doing it where he wants to remind us of who we are before he's going to tell us what we should do. He wants to remind us of who we are before he's going to tell us what to do. It's, it's identity, it's being before doing. Being before doing. He's going to talk a lot here in this passage. You saw it already there uh, around, you know, you do what is right, be righteous, live like this, uh, live in a way that you're not ashamed, all these kinds of things. But in order, uh, you know, some of us will rush there and see like, okay, wow, like, and I mean, there's some heavy hitting stuff in this passage. Some of you are thinking, wow, like, pretty heavy going. I'm sitting here in my pajamas and Doug's going to be preaching on who are the children of the devil and who are the children of God, but we'll get there. Uh, and and I, it is it is very straight. Some of the stuff is very heavy, but the doing stuff comes after the being. The activity comes after the identity. And so I want us to start there. I want us to look at, at what he's talking about here. We are the children of God. Now, um, verse 1, there you see it, verse 1 of chapter 3, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are, and we are. He's at pains to point out this is a, this is a present reality. Uh, he, he touches on in this passage, he says that we are now God's children, and what we will be one day, we're not sure. Uh, we just know we're going to be like him. When we, when we see him like him, we're going to have resurrected bodies. We will be like the resurrected Jesus. It's going to be amazing. But what, exactly what we're going to be like, we're not sure, but now, for now, the present reality, now we know we are God's children. This is a, this is a reality that's grounded in the Father's love. He has made us uh, his children. This is, this is not some future state that you get to become a child of God. This is us now. We are God's children. And so I want us to, I want us to dig into this and look a bit at this um, children of God um, aspect. Uh, a, a super important question that we need to answer is, aren't we all God's children? Some of you are objecting and saying, well, you know, Doug, you mentioned this children of the devil thing. Like, uh, aren't we all God's children? Uh, I've, I've always heard that. I've always understood that everyone on the earth is a child of God. And, and I would say yes and no. Um, yes, we are all God's children in a created sense. God is the father of, of all mankind. Uh, he has created, he has given life and breath to every human being. He's, he's a father in the creative sense, but he's not a father to everyone in a relational sense. He's not a father to everyone in a relational sense. And that's what John's talking about. That's what Jesus talks about a lot. Um, you see him again and again in the gospels talking about that. And Jesus, John's lifting from Jesus. Remember, John is a best friend of Jesus. He's a disciple. He heard Jesus talking about, you know, you and your father, the devil. The humanity is divided in the eyes of Jesus and in the eyes of John yeah, into those who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. They have God as a father and the devil as a father. And again, I mean, that might not sit lacquer with most people. It's very un-PC to say that about anyone that, look, you may be a, you may be a child of the devil. But uh, he, it's here, yeah, you know, I didn't make up the message. I'm just the messenger. Uh, and we're going to dig into, what, I think, a, a bit of what it means. And I want us to focus more on on, on being God's children, because that's, that's the emphasis of this. This is what John is talking about, and it's deeply encouraging uh, for us. So, no, we're not all God's children, only in a creative sense, not in a relational sense. And, and the Scriptures make it clear that there's two, there's two sort of ways in which, there's two ways that the Scriptures describe us becoming God's children. Uh, one is adoption, and one is new birth. 
One is adoption and one is new birth. And these are, these are beautiful uh, pictures that are given to us uh, in, the, in the scriptures. And I want to I I dig into these a little bit. Um, adoption, we, you, know, you can go back and look. We've preached uh, other sermons on this, particularly on adoption. Um, but in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He, he predestined. This is his plan to adopt us as his sons. And in Romans 8, uh, from verse 14, Paul says this, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. That's, that's how you know you belong to God. You're led by his spirit. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We've received, this is, this is what it means to be a Christian. You've received the spirit of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit by which we're able to call God dad. We're able to call the Father Dad. That's an intimate term, Abba, Father. We get to call God Dad. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. You know, maybe before people became Christians, there was a different view of God as a Father. And I, I don't want to be insensitive to it. You may even be a Christian and still struggle with the idea of God being a loving Father, loving Dad, doting on you, you know, for your good. You maybe you've had no Dad or a jacked up idea of a Dad or there's been abuse and misuse. And like, it's just it's super hard. And I just want to impress upon you again. So this, is the, this for me is one of the number one things as a Christian uh, you need to make progress on is God redeeming. And I think he does this very tenderly, redeeming your picture of what it means to have God as a father. Because you've been given the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, that we can call God dad. God wants us to relate to him in an intimate way. Uh, is my, it's, it's, it's wonderful having a little kid still in our house. I mean, six isn't that little. Uh, but john has got all these weird names for me. He calls me Dad, Dada, Papa. I don't know where you got the Papa thing from. I mean, like, a, a, it's not my favorite one, but I mean, it's cute when anything that comes out of his mouth when he's looking for me, and he run, runs around the house going through all the options. Dada, Daddy, Dada, Papa, you know, trying to find me. Uh, and and because I, he knows I love him, and he's got all these affectionate names for me, and that's how God wants us to relate to him. It's not like, Dear Lord, you know, like, like this formal, like, you know, hey, do you have time for me now kind of vibe? That's just not what you get when you get the spirit of adoption because you get to relate to God as an intimate um, father. But as we get adopted, we become fully part of the family. Uh, adopted children are fully part of the family. They get the same surname. Legally, they get adopted. They get brought into the inheritance of that family. They are part of that family. But the one thing that hasn't changed in an adopted child is that child is still that child. We've got tons of friends who have adopted kids. And some have adopted earlier, and others have adopted later. We've had some who've adopted the kids who are quite old, actually. That, that child that you adopt and bring into your family, they become genuinely part of your family. But that child is still that child. You're still getting that child, you know. Maybe they'll change over time. Lord willing, they'll change their being that family. Uh, but they have their own characteristics. They are, that, they are that person. They are just relationally now part of your family. That's where adoption is slightly different in my mind to new birth. Here... Uh, John is talking about new birth. This passage mentions a couple of times those who are born of God. You see it in verse 29. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Verse 9. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because God's seed, God's seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he has been born of God. Born of God. Born of God. There is a new birth that happens in the life of a Christian this is how you become a believer. God makes you 
born again. Now, these days, it's, you know, it's a term of uh, derision, like scorn almost. Now, you're one of those born-again Christians. And I would just say categorically, like, there's no such thing as a born-again Christian or a non-born-again Christian. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. You have to be born again. You may not like the term, but, you know, Jesus says, you, you must, I'm going I'm to talk about this later, you must be born again. Like, you, whether or not you like the term or not, that doesn't matter. You have to be born again if you want to know God. Listen to what John says in his gospel when he writes in John chapter 1, verse 11. Speaking about Jesus, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. This is how you become a child. You believe in his name. Who were, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. There's nothing natural about what's happening. You becoming a born-again believer. This is not a natural thing. It's not the natural process of, of childbirth. It's not that you came into the world because your parents decided to have you. It's none of that stuff. This is all but of God. It's God's decision to bring you to newness of life and to make you born again. And it's, it's different from adoption. You become a new person. If you think of your life, some of you, maybe you've been Christians for ages, years, decades, maybe most of your life. And maybe others of you are, you've been, become a Christian more recently. And you can remember a time when you weren't a Christian. And maybe some of you are listening to this and you're not you're not yet Christians, and they, they would describe you here. And this is, this is what Jesus offers uh, you even today, uh, newness of life. And, and you can maybe remember a time where, where your life was different. You had different loves, different um, interests. Your heart went in a different direction, and God did something. And he, he, he showed you his love for you, and he made you alive. And, and everything changed. Your, your heart towards God, the things that you wanted to do, it wasn't like a, a, a miracle. It was a miracle, but it wasn't like an overnight, like no, no longer want to do those things. Now just, yeah, I just want to be at church. Just want to read my Bible. want to pray. Today. Um, don't struggle with sin anymore. That's not what happens, but God does something. John describes it like this, like God's seed is in us. The Holy Spirit comes in and starts to change our desires and our, and our, um, our abilities. We have a new power that we never knew before to say no to sin. That's a, that's a new thing that happens. There's a, a new crea creation. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're a new person. You're a spiritual baby. Now, you might be, uh, I think the oldest person I've led to the Lord was in his late 70s. Late 70s. And a spiritual baby. Absolute baby. And that person would be less mature as a 70-odd-year-old believer in Jesus than somebody who's walked with God since they were five. They gave their life to the Lord. or they, you know, God gave them a new birth at between five, ten years old. And you know, they can be 20, and they've got like this many years of maturing in God. That's how the Scriptures describe you as an infant in Christ. And so you need milk before you can have steak. You, know, you, you need elementary things before you can get onto more mature and more complicated things. You're a new person, and you grow up and, and mature, but you, it's a spiritual sense. It's not a physical thing. It's got nothing to do with a physical age. It's because God has made you a new person. Spiritually dead, you become spiritually alive, but the way you become spiritually alive is that God makes you new. God like, gives you new birth, and that's what John is talking about. Everyone who is born of God, that is these 
these things he's discussing in this passage. So that's how you become a Christian. You get adopted by God. These things happen for me at the same time. Adoption and being born again, they're exactly the same um, thing in terms of timing here. But this is, uh, this is all of God's doing. Whether God adopts you or whether God enables you to be born again, all of those images in the scriptures, it's all God. Like Kids never put themselves up for adoption. I mean, maybe as an adult kind of thing. I think my teenage daughter's threatened a couple of times during lockdown to put herself up for adoption. Uh, and if she's watching this, just be careful. Um, but, you know, you, most, most kids don't put themselves up for adoption. You know, you, the parent initiates the adoption of the child. Uh, and, and no child decides to be born into the world. The parents decide we're going to have a child or whatever. Or maybe they don't decide, but then the child comes. They've done something to bring that child uh, into the world. You know, it's a parent's initiative, and it's the same thing with God. God takes the initiative to adopt you or to make you his through new birth. And if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, it's worth just pausing there and saying, thank you, God. Like, you're the initiating one here. You adopted me into your family. You gave me new birth. There's nothing in me. There's nothing in me. I was dead in my sin. I was in that family over there. Not a natural line. And you adopted, you brought me in, and you gave me new life. Thank you, God. Uh, and it's uh, worth us just worshiping him um, just for that. John then moves on and he says, okay, well, if that's how you become God's children, um, how then should you live? How then should you live as God's children? Remember again, and again and again in 1 John, John is addressing these errors. And so you see in verse 7, he says to them again, little children, um, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, speaking of Jesus, is righteous. The one who does what is right is righteous. I want us to talk about that a little bit. The one who does what is right is righteous. Um, people have, have different leanings. Uh, and you'll find yourself somewhere on the this, on this spectrum. You've got, you've got people who lean towards perfectionism and legalism. They're, they're rule followers. Um, they're like, maybe they're OCD or A-types. I don't know. I don't want to label people. And, you know, people are, we're, we're complicated. So I'm oversimplifying things for, uh, for us here. But there's people who lean towards that obedience kind of thing. And you, they'd look at the scriptures. They'd look at life and think, righteousness is found in, in keeping the rules, in obeying things. That's what God is pleased by you. You know, if you read it, then you must do it kind of thing. And you read a passage like this and talk about like, yes, do what is right, do what is right. I see that kind of thing. No to sin. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and on the one side, people who lean in that direction. Other people lean in the side of, I'm going to call it grace, but I've got a little, what are these inverted commas? I don't know. Uh, because it's not actually grace. It's like licentiousness. It's like, God loves me, God has forgiven me, and so it doesn't really matter how I live. All my sin is covered, my shame's taken away, and so it doesn't matter. Like, I'm God's forever. I've heard what Doug said. No one can snatch me out of his hand, and so it doesn't really matter how I live because God's covered me in grace, and I'm forgiven my sins past, present, and future, and so it's cool. Like, live how you want kind of thing because grace covers, and, and it doesn't really matter. I don't want to take sin too seriously, um, and Somewhere on the spectrum, maybe we'll find ourselves, but we will have a leaning in one of those two directions. And this passage um, calls, has a word and it calls both of us um, on, the, on that spectrum to the, the gospel, which is neither of, neither of those two things. I just want to clarify here what John means in verse 9. Because this is, as I mentioned earlier, this is where, for me, the CSB, and you know, I'm not a Bible translator, but I don't think the CSB have done the most helpful thing in the way they've translated verse 9 if you have an NIV or something like that, 
I think it's a more, or ESV, it's got a more helpful translation. Verse 9 says, everyone who's been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Now, if you just read that as it is in the CSB, maybe you're terrified now uh, because like even who's born of God does not sin. And you're thinking, I think I may, I may have sinned. Uh, you know, and uh, his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin. It's like, no, nah, I think I, I think I'm pretty competent um, uh, as a sinner. It, it comes fairly easily to me. Like, have I not been born of God? Like, what are you saying, John? What are you saying? But these are these are words in the continuous tense, and so that's why the NIV and those things. I'm gonna give you a long Bible lesson while you're in your pajamas, but it's super important because if you miss read this verse, you can put the skids under you. I think. Um, a better way of translating this is that you're not able, everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. He does not keep on sinning because his seed remains in him. He's not able to keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, it's that we are able to sin and we're able to keep on sinning. But the picture John is giving here, and this is where we need to hold 1 John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 3 together in tension. There's two things that he's talking about here. Remember in 1 John chapter 1, uh, there's a lot of that. He was saying, if you claim to have no sin, the truth is not in you. Um, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So his first point is like in, in chapter one, like, look, you, you do have sin uh, and you are going to sin. And if you confess your sin, God is faithful and he will forgive you and cleanse you. Uh, in 1 John chapter three, he says, the one who does what is righteous is righteous. No one who keeps on sinning. And these are these two things to hold in tension. This is how you know that you're a Christian. God's seed, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us to help us here acknowledge that we are sinners. So we say, yeah, okay, God, I agree with you. I am a sinner. I continue to struggle with sin. I need to confess my sin and you will forgive me and we'll be relationally restored. And that's an ongoing thing. But on the other side, it's to realize like, okay, well, I can't just, you know, Okay, 1 John 1, 9, you know, that's the banner verse over my life. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just. So it doesn't matter, I just live however. John says, no, no, the one who does what is right, who does what is righteous, is righteous. No one who keeps on sinning. It's not, the, it's not this grace-like party. I don't even call it that because it's, um, that's misleading. It's this licentiousness. It's like, no, 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 no. John's saying, it's like, you can't just carry on. No one who has the Holy Spirit in them just keeps on sinning. Because the Holy Spirit arrests you and convicts you and says, no, 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 no. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you can't just carry on living how you used to live, carry on sinning. You're not going to be able to do that because the Holy Spirit is almost like a handbrake in your life to say no. It gives you a new power to not do that. It gives you new loves to not do these things and you know, affection for those things. God changes our affections and our passions and our priorities and then we end up living differently. So 1 John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 3, they, they work together to give us a very clear picture of the fact that we are sinners. We are people who struggle with sin and that God is gracious and, 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 and faithful to forgive us when we confess those things. But it's not that we then trampoline from there to say it doesn't matter how we live. He says, no, no, no. We want to live righteous because he is righteous and we're in him and we want to follow him and we, we want to not just keep on sinning, help us Holy Spirit. It's really important, and I spend a bit of time on that because it, for me, is a defining characteristic of, of Christians. This is how we know we are God's children. 1 John is all about assurance of salvation. This is another way we can know. 
that we have the arresting work, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in us. Not sinless perfection, but the arresting work of the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that again. Stop with that. Dial that back. Repent of that. Confess that. No, no, that's not right. That doesn't look like Jesus. That doesn't look like your, um, like your Savior. Walk away from those things or do these things. Do these things. There's a prompting to do things that look more like Jesus. I want to move now uh, as, as we close this out to look at what, what does Jesus accomplish for God's children? Because this passage deals with this. What, is, what does Jesus accomplish for God's children? I have a look in verse 8 there. The first thing is that he destroys the works of the devil. Verse 8, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. Uh, I love this. I love it. It's just like John just puts it out there. Like this is why the Son of God is revealed in this time to destroy the devil's works. You might be asking, well, what are the devil's works? Well, I mean, there's a long list of them. And in this passage, some of them want to deceive believers, to lie to them, to keep them enslaved in sin, for which God has already won their freedom and leading them out of slavery into freedom. He's, he's appeared to destroy the devil's works. And on the cross, that's what's happened. Jesus has finished off Satan's power and ability over us. And he's going to wrap it up when he comes again. He is coming back. He's promised that. But he's destroyed the works of the devil. There's not some cosmic kind of competition going on. The devil is done. He is defeated. And we're waiting for the fulfillment of the outworking of that. And that's what he's done. And as God's children, we're beneficiaries of Jesus destroying those works of the devil. And the second thing that he talks about here is in verse 5, he says that uh, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. There's no sin in him that New Testament makes that abundantly clear. There's no sin in Jesus, but he becomes sin as our substitute and in our place. But he takes away sins. This, this is a deeply, deeply encouraging verse. And I, and I don't know where you are, the condition of your heart, where you are in terms of your own sin struggles or your understanding of your relationship and with God as a father and your joy in God. But this for me is a joy-inducing truth uh, that God takes away our sins. And, the, and the, the picture that John has here is of the Day of Atonement. Uh, I'm not sure this may be old to you, but maybe new for some of you. The picture here is of, of the Day of Atonement. And if you want to read up on this, you can go and have a look <clears throat> in Leviticus chapter 16 as God gives the instructions to uh, his people to Aaron. But this is what they should do on the Day of Atonement when they... And they remember, it's like the holiest day for Jewish people. And there's lots of activity that happened in terms of atoning for their sin. But one of the things that happened in this is that two goats would be brought forward. Two goats would be brought forward. And there would be lots cast for which goat went to the Lord and which one became the scapegoat. And then the first goat would be, would be um, sacrificed. And its blood would be added uh, into the rest of the, uh, you know, the ritual sprinkled all over the, the Ark of the Covenant, all these things. Uh, it would be a, a sacrifice for sin. The first goat would be the sacrifice for sin. Then uh, God instructs Aaron to come to the second goat and to place both his hands on that second goat and to confess over that goat all of the nation's sin. All of the nation's sin gets confessed over that goat. And then there's a designated person who takes that goat and leads that goat out of the camp, out into the wilderness far, far, far away from where the people are and lets it go and make sure it doesn't come back. Leaves it there 
as a symbol for people that your sins through this have been taken away. God's not bringing them up again. They've been taken away. They've been confessed off onto the goat, and the goat is gone. And I love that picture, and it's something for us as the children of God to hold onto a picture that that's what God has done. Uh, And in Jesus, those two things come together. Now we don't have two different goats. We've got the perfect Lamb of God who is both in His blood being shed for us, our sin substitute, and the one on whom all the sin of the world is placed, and God takes it away. That's what John says. He has taken away sins. He hasn't just forgiven them. He's taken them away. God's not bringing them up all the time with you. You might be bringing them up all the time with him, but he's not bringing them up all the time. He's taken them away. And maybe as you relate to God as a father, this is a joy-inducing thing as you come to him. You don't always come groveling and apologizing a million times. Confession, again, 1 John 1, we confess our sins. We take sins seriously, but we're not always bringing it back up and saying, oh, this past thing or whatever. We need to hold that intention with this verse that says he has taken away our sins. This is the magic. It's not magic. This is the glory, sorry, of the gospel. This is the glory of the gospel that Jesus has taken away our sins. Therefore, because he has done that, he's destroyed the works of the devil and he's taken away our sin. Have a look in verse 28. Live in a way that you don't have to be ashamed at his coming. That's what it says in verse 28. So now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Jesus has promised he's coming back. And yeah, what John says is like, you're, you're his child. God has made you his child. He's forgiven your sin. He's treated you differently. Now, now live in such a way that you won't have to be ashamed at his coming. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Claire and I went out on a date. And uh, we had the kid's favorite favorite babysitter over uh, who will remain nameless because I think some of you know her. And um, we left the house. We were late. ran out the house and I got into the car and I realized I didn't have my phone with me. So I, I shot back into the house quickly. As I came back into the house, our whole sort of house at that time was open plan except there's a little section around the kitchens around the corner. And as I wandered into the house, it was deathly quiet, which is very unusual for life with this babysitter. Deathly quiet. I was like, something's not right here. I'm going to start calling out for the kids. I can't, no one's answering me. I can't find anything. I poke my head around the corner. There are all three children and babysitter, heads in the, um, the food cupboard, busy snacking my birthday chocolate that I'd left there kind of thing. I'll, if you could, if I could give you of what shame looks like, it would be the four of them, heads in my lint uh, chocolate box, scoffing my chocolate as quickly as I could. I wasn't even out the driveway. You know, and the shame and the guilt all over their faces. I was like, yeah, you're right. I need to go out to dinner with your mother, but I'll deal with this tomorrow. This is, and for me, it's a picture. And that's what John's talking about. It's like, Jesus is coming back. If Jesus was to come back now, uh, whatever you're doing, live in a way that if he surprised you and he's coming back, you would never, ever be ashamed. It's like, yeah, whatever you're doing, uh, I don't have to be ashamed. God, like, there's no shame in what I'm doing. Morning, noon, and night. What I'm thinking about, what I'm looking at, what I'm saying what I'm telling myself, all of these things. I don't, I don't live in any way that if you surprised me with your coming back, I would be ashamed. He says, live, live that way because you are a child of God, not in order to become, but because you are a deeply loved child of his, live in a way in which there's no way that you would be ashamed if he surprised you coming back. If you're a child of God this morning, I want to encourage you to rejoice in that, the fact that God has enabled that 
and to ask the Holy Spirit to search you to see if there's any way in which you're not, what John says, you're not living as righteous. You're not living as the righteous one. There are areas of your life in which maybe there is shame because you're not living in a way, that, the way that God wants you to, and the, the freedom that is won for, for us. Ask God to search our hearts and let's confess those things and repent of them and return to our Father again and again. In 1 John, he says, remain, abide, remain, abide. If you remain, if you remain, he remains. Remaining and abiding in the presence of God helps us to ward off sin. We're not on a sin hunt. This is not a sin-focused thing. This is a remaining in him. And I want to encourage you again and again, remain, remain, remain. Make it your life's priority to carve out time to be with your father so you can experience his joy over you, his joy over your life. You can hear your father speaking to you, not just always talking to him. He's speaking to you through the Holy Spirit and, and through the Holy Spirit reminding you of your identity in him and his joy over you. Uh, no parent has greater joy than to see their children delighting in the fact that their parents love them. And that's exactly what it's like with God. And if you're not yet a child of God today, I want to encourage you to respond to the Father's love. Uh, you're hearing this this morning because God wants to have you as his child. And his invitation stands to you this morning. In John chapter 3, Jesus says this, you must be born again. You must be born again. If you want to know God, you have to be born again. And it's a work of God in making us born again. But we respond in faith to what God is doing. And if God is doing something in your heart this morning, I want to encourage you to respond to him and say, yes, make me your child. Forgive my son. I want to be yours now and forever. Thank you for doing this work in me. Let's, uh, let's pray together this morning. Father, we are... We're so grateful for just that, that we get to call you Father. Uh, you have made us yours, this miracle of new birth and adoption, all, all the work of your grace in us. And we just, we want to say this morning how we love you. We thank you that you love us. How, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we could be called the children of God. Thank you, Father, for this love. Thank you for uh, filling us with the Holy Spirit, that we could have full assurance that we belong to you, that we're your children. Uh, you know, what's still going to happen in the future, we don't know, uh, but we know now we are yours, and we delight in that again this morning. And we want to pray you'd help us through the Holy Spirit who you've given us to live as righteous. We want to live as children who please you, who live in a way that honor you and obey you and bring you great, great joy. And so please would you strengthen us and fill us again this morning, I point out areas in our lives again where we're not, where we're not doing this, where we, we're wandered off into things that could cause us shame. Help us to turn from those things by your grace again this morning. And I pray for any, any watching today who haven't yet responded to you, that you'd give them the grace today to turn and find you there as a father waiting to welcome them into the family, to forgive their sins and to impart new life to them. You're a, an amazing wonder-working Father. We don't deserve your kindness to us, and so we worship you this morning. Thank you, Father. You are good to us, and we love you and worship you this morning. Amen.